What's going on, family? I want to talk about the 2020 election, specifically the 1994 crime bill and how it is still impacting uh, politics today. So we're all familiar with mass incarceration. Uh, people like myself, very personally, having spent 14 years uh, in a correctional facility uh, for crimes that I committed when I was a very young man uh, in 1995, six uh, in that era. <clears throat> And so being a person who essentially went into prison immediately after the passage of the 1994 crime bill, uh, you know, and of course, at that time, I was too busy listening to, uh, you know, gangster rap, drinking 40s, smoking blunts to be concerned with politics and actually even know that Bill Clinton, the quote unquote first black president we've ever had, um, was passing a bill that was going to essentially take away my youth. Um, not that I didn't, I wasn't complicit uh, in this with my own actions, but I think when I actually went back and listened to the conversation on the Senate floor that was had by the members of Congress, specifically Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, about what they had to say about the 1994 crime bill uh, and instituting this sort of new methodology of justice, you'll hear Biden talk about that this was not a Republican or Democrat issue. There was a consensus, a growing consensus, as he says, and this is in late 93, early 94. Uh, and this growing consensus essentially to me is the corporate interests who and the lobbyists who were starting to line the pockets of these senators uh, and these members of, of Congress um, as lobbyists do and letting them know that the prison industrial complex was on its way. And so when we see that we have you know, this outpouring of crack cocaine in our communities, when we see that gangs are beginning to essentially take over our streets, what we did uh, as a young generation of OGs and gangsters, YGs, Bloods, Crips, or whatever it is that a person's affiliation was in the streets, essentially we gave cover to white supremacy to institute the policies that it wanted to institute against us anyway. Obviously, there were no opportunities available in these communities where you were able to just throw a, a sack of drugs on the ground and people would kill themselves in order to be able to have some money to pay bills and to live. Uh, and in some cases, people to be able to the first time ever really thrive in life, to own property, to, to own cars and motorcycles and nice furniture and be able to provide for their children. Drugs offered this for the first time to a people who up until that point were blameless. They just were extremely poor and had been so for, for generations. And so what we did, uh, you know, and I take responsibility as a young person who was in a gang, uh, you know, and, and lived that life. Um, you know, what we did was we essentially gave cover to white supremacy to do what it is that it wanted to do. And so when you listen to um, former Vice President Biden and Bernie Sanders talk about this bill, which I'm going to play a clip, uh, you know, so I can bring everybody up to speed on actually what was said back when this mass incarceration bill, quote unquote, started. So here we go. Crime is not Democrat or Republican. Making the streets safe is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is one of those issues I hope this passage of this bill will do, will be taken out of the gridlock category and moved into an emerging consensus. And the consensus is as follows, and I will cease when I finish this statement. The consensus is, A, we must take back the streets. 
It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents. It doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become a, a social uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. The Democratic chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the Democratic president of the United States of America, the Democratic attorney general, the Republican leader, the Republican leader of this effort, Senator Hatch, the Republican senator from Texas. We all agree on that. Now, we can find some fringe folks in the study groups on the right wing and left wing, libertarians and and uh, and, and left wingers in my party who say, no, nah, that's not what we should do. But politically, that consensus has been arrived at. I acknowledge there was not that consensus in the 60s. There is today. There's a second thing that we all have agreed upon. And that is, unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized. They literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will or a portion of them will become the predators 15 years from now. So, and <clears throat> to some degree, he was right. They would be the predators 15 years from now. So if this was in 1993, 94, essentially he was talking about 1999, 2000. 1999, excuse me, 2009, 2010. And so when you look at, um, exactly where this puts us as far as this crime bill measure is concerned today um, you know obviously a lot of the sentencing and policies are being reversed and a lot of people are being released from prison but I think the damage has been caused when people are reintegrated into society it's extremely difficult for people to be able to um, as you say pull themselves up by the bootstraps when you can't live in certain places areas communities um, and you can't work um, obviously, certain jobs and positions, which that impacts your credit, it impacts your income, and essentially impacts your quality of life because it impacts your wealth. So here's what Senator, excuse me, Representative Bernie Sanders had to say um, about the crime bill as well. A society which neglects, which oppresses, and which disdains a very significant part of its population, which leaves them hungry, impoverished, unemployed uneducated, and utterly without hope, will, through cause and effect, create a population which is bitter, which is angry, which is violent, 
and a society which is crime-ridden. And that is the case in America, and it is the case in other countries throughout the world. Mr. Chairman, how do we talk about the very serious crime problem in America without mentioning, without mentioning that we have the highest rate of childhood poverty in the industrialized world by far, with 22% of our children in poverty and 5 million kids hungry today? Do you think maybe that might have some relationship to crime? How do we talk about crime when this Congress is prepared this year to spend 11 times more for the military than for education. When 21% of our kids drop out of high school, when a recent study told us that twice as many young workers now earn poverty wages as 10 years ago, when the gap between the rich and the poor is growing wider, and when the rate of poverty continues to grow. Do you think maybe that might have some relationship to crime? So. When you hear what Bernie Sanders says, the first time I heard this speech, I, I didn't even know that Bernie Sanders voted for the 1994 crime bill, but he did. And so he's been politically cleaning up that mess for some time now, especially now that he's on his presidential run again, reloaded. And so, you know, the question really in this 2020 election is your choices are clear. Um, Donald Trump, obviously. Uh, and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, because this in 2020, we've had a few elections that have been the election of the women. It's been the election of the minority, of the black candidate, of the female candidates, et cetera, et cetera. And so this 2020 election, we're shaping up to be, we're going to be mano a mano. We're not going to put a woman up against Donald Trump. We saw the results of that when it came to white males uh, without an education specifically, who voted for Trump. Trump appeals to a certain demographic of people that a woman is just not going to appeal to, uh, at least not those who are the viable candidates running. Elizabeth Warren isn't necessarily giving people the googly eyes. Um, and so at the end of the day, that's where we are. Um, I think the other young lady, Amy Klobuchar, again, we're, we're not talking about the Tulsi Gabbard's or even the Kamala Harris's of this presidential campaign cycle, where at least they could get by on, you know, taking great photos and looking cute while, you know, wearing workout clothes and jogging and being fit and active, and at least um, being able to garner those sorts of people's vote, who would just, on the looks of it, vote for a candidate like that. So when you have a female candidate, um, in like Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, who, who don't cut the mustard as far as being able to, to steal any votes from Donald Trump's male, uneducated uh, base, then now you really have to have white male against white male. Because when you look at this country, the largest demographic of people in this country is white females. They are the largest single solitary group of people in this country, and that is white women, who ironically are also thought to be or looked at is uh, looked at as by our society as minorities, but that's another podcast I definitely want to get into soon. And so, when you look at the fact here, when we're talking about Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden, you hear what what Biden said, and he talked about the Texas senator who said that he also supported the bill, and Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah. 
So who are these people who are supporting this bill? Well, how many private prisons does Texas have, right? And then not only that, when you find out that Texas was the first state to adopt private prisons in 1985 and has incarcerated the largest number of people under state jurisdiction, which is 12,000 and some change, and this was 2019 numbers in October, so this is from the sentencing project, so these are relatively new numbers. They're within the last six months. So when you look at the fact that uh, the senator from Texas was a proponent of this, uh, I was in Oklahoma, the state right next to Texas, and we had quite a few, uh, more than you would assume for a very small state like Oklahoma. But when you look at this, the, the, the symmetry of this whole thing, and you look at the, the parallels, I should say, between crack, gangs, and the 1994 crime bill subsequently, that kind of came at the height of this, um, after the 1994 crime bill was passed, the crime data actually was going down already before the 1994 crime bill. The, the rates of violent crime, the rates of murders, uh, and the rates of the crimes that they were actually addressing in the 1994 crime bill, and you can hear um, several of these people who voted for it um, admit that they had, they had no idea that obviously, you know, it's like betting on a stock. You know, no one knew when they were hyping the stock up, which was essentially the private and in, in prison industrial complex, that the actual crime on the ground was on a downward trend. So when you consider the fact that we have a downward trend with the actual crime rate and the crime numbers uh, at a time that we sponsor a crime bill that's meant to, you know, aggressively attack this crime problem, what happens is you take a police department that already has a propensity to assault people from certain communities, to overstep their bounds, to use um, force that, you know, many would deem not even close to necessary. You've now emboldened the people and you've told them to go chase this, um, this ghost in the room that essentially is a dying breed. Look what gangbanging is now. You know, you have these little cliques and groups of folks, you know, these smaller gangs and groups, and some of them even attach the blood or crip label to them, but they're not real bloods and crips, you see. These are not people that are born of the L.A. crips who then subsequently spawned the bloods who came from the crips and were second in essentially the secession of street gangs. Crips were first, bloods rebelled, they were the second gang, and then you have a lot of other gangs that were mixed in at that time. But essentially along the real line of what we understand to be the gang epidemic in the black community, this is the storyline. And so a lot of these newer gangs don't follow that storyline. These are like the grandchildren of the OGs. Uh, sometimes the great grandkids of some of these OGs who have no real connection to the, you know, to the code um, and to a lot of the things that was really associated with what we called gangsterism in the 80s and 90s. And so when you look at the parallelisms of the crack cocaine epidemic of the mass incarceration agenda and of the gangbang um, epidemic that hit our communities, you can see how so many people like myself are impacted and still impacted today in 2020. But the irony is, is we'll have all these panels and discussions dealing with mass incarceration and talking about public policy initiatives that were wrong, but there's really no real way to rectify what's happened to people. People are still suffering whatever quality of life it is that your particular crime, you know, has you. And with the exception of people who have, you know, like sex crimes, like they should forever have that stigma attached to them. Just you know, not out of hatred for those people. I think anybody being a parent, raising a child, it's only fair that I know that you done did something to a child. Unfortunately, I wish they would just lock those people up 
for so damn long that it ain't even an issue anymore. But unfortunately, those are the people who get the least amount of time. Go look on these apps and look at these people who are sex offenders in your community. It's it's really disgusting when you when you do it. And and look on one of these apps and, and search for sex offenders and click on one of these folks and all there is public record. And you'll be able to see exactly what these folks did. And you'll see, you know, it, sometimes it's so nonspecific. It's, it's kind of, you know, upsetting. But it'll say some sort of a sex crime with a person under a certain age, whether that's 16, 12 or something like that. And so you're looking at this person's picture and you're looking at, you know, the date of the felony and it's like 2013 and, you know, this person savagely raped some child and here it is 2020 and they're already like down the street, seven years. I know guys who went to jail 10 years ago for a bag of dope and still not home. Still paying money for lawyers trying to get an early parole for a bag of dope, you know, that we don't have the planes and the and the, the capacity and the facility to actually be the people who are behind this this drug, this war on drugs that they're having. But at the end of the day, they can't seem to find a crack rock until it's in a 15-year-old black kid's pocket in Baltimore or Chicago or Miami or any ghetto USA. They can't find the drugs coming through the customs or in the airplanes or on the boats. They, they primarily find the drugs in the pockets of the little black kids in the community. The Spanish kids in the community. And I'm going to tell you, there's far too many people who've been caught with drugs, smuggling large amounts of drugs, who when you look in the prisons, those people aren't represented in the jails. There might be guys in there lying and saying that they was the, 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 the heavyweight. But for the most part, you've got low-level and mid-level dealers who are occupying your prisons, who are crowding your prisons. The ounce and two ounce and four ounce and 12 ounce guys, that's, that's what you have that are the thousands upon thousands of, of inmates in these correctional facilities. Meanwhile, the folks who are doing damage and destroying children's lives are in and out so fast that by the time a guy gets his bunk assignment on a 20-year sentence, see, these guys, these jokers are gone in these ridiculous programs and, and all these other things. And so when we talk about the impact currently on people, far too many people who, you know, just were guys who were caught in the socioeconomics and the, the politics of the 1994 crime bill, who got these expensive, extensive amounts of time like myself. Um, and, and these extensive amounts of time, say I would have done two or three, five years. Um, you know, that would be so long ago that, for example, there was a lot of certifications and licenses that one can get for a professional career or even to live in certain places. Everything is judged off of since you were released. And if you were released on probation or parole, the time doesn't start until you complete probation or parole. And then from that moment, they have a clock that runs. And after so many years, you can live in these apartments or you can uh, work this job or you can be trusted to have this license. And, and oftentimes it's 7, 10, 15 years that it must be since you've completed um, your, your sentence. And so for people whose sentences are 10 and 15 years long, you know, essentially we're talking about somebody who's 14, 15 years old catches a crime and they don't have the right to have certain certifications and licenses and live in certain communities till they're 45, you see. And so it just becomes so ridiculous how we still today um, don't really understand exactly how it is that we got into this situation. And so when it comes to this election this year, I've heard a lot of people talk about we need to vote for this person or that person. We don't need to vote for anybody, black folks. Let's just be clear about that. 
We don't have to vote for anybody. What we should be doing is we should be centered, centering our energy and focusing our efforts in our communities. You know, why are we not at these churches going door to door in these churches saying, hey, church, how about this Sunday when we come to church, everybody leave their expensive outfits at home. Nobody needs to buy new shoes and new colognes and new makeups and new wigs and new new hats for church. Nobody's got to spend money getting your car detailed to drive to church. You should see the parking lot at church. Everybody's got the nice armor all on the tires. And I trust me, I was de- I definitely is would, would, would be one of those people and was one uh, in my youth. But the point is, is instead of doing that, how about we show up at church on Sunday and we show up at church with our brooms and rakes and mops, lawnmowers, shovels, ditch diggers, edgers, weed eaters, hammers, nails, doorknobs, doors, paint, spackle. Let's go into the community and build some value. We sit in these church houses for two and three hours every Sunday in a community generally where there's a there's a liquor store. I can throw a baseball to a liquor store from the church to to any number of Kentucky Fried Chickens and Popeyes and all, you know, and that's essentially the only thing in the community is fast food that'll kill you, alcohol that'll kill you in so many different ways. So. Why is it that we come to the community, many of us from outside the community, who are the teachers and lawyers and doctors and insurance agents and car salespeople uh, and educated folks with degrees, professional careers and the like. And these people go in and out of the community, right past all the poverty. We look at the old man at the gas station. We might give him a dollar or two. And we're gone. We're gone back to our nice We live in Palm Ridge, Meadow Hill. We live out in the nice area. And all we do is we go into the community and we talk good and we sing and we say these empty prayers for people that we're not helping. We're not helping these people. And I think when you actually get out there and really understand what people respond to, people respond to actions, not words. And so what my words are trying to inspire is some action. And we need to get out in the community. We really need to to take some time to create value in our community. So anybody who's a member of a church, you might be on a church board and a church choir or anything like that listening to me right now. I I really challenge people to take this to their their board uh, and talk to the folks in their church, talk to the folks in their church family and really talk about Let's let's put the let's put the Bibles up for Sunday. Oh, you can come in for a sunrise service early in the morning with your work gloves on. We're going too pretty to church, black people. It's time out for that. It's time out for dressing up. We need to put some hard hats on and go into the communities and start building some things. Let's start repairing the community. If it's nothing but picking up the trash on the streets, the 40 bottles and the Swisher Sweet wrappers, and the Backwoods packages, and all the fast foods and Snickers and donuts that our people are eating. All of the garbage, you can find it out there in the street. Just go through the right neighborhood. When you you see the trash, look at what the, it's not banana peels, 
Apple cores. <laughs> it's not even anything. Water bottles is about the healthiest thing you're going to see out there that a person consumed that had any sort of uh, nutritional value to it. And so when you have a people who who don't understand how politics work and they don't understand what this 2020 election is shaping up to be, this 2020 election is shaping up to be yet another fleecing of black people, yet another fleecing of your vote, to having you vote more than likely for a liberal candidate, either Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. And both of these dudes are locking up and throw away the key guys. And ironically, <laughs> the one thing Donald Trump is showing is, is he's pardoning people left and right. Letting people out of jail left and right. As Obama did before him. Maybe not in the same fashion that Donald Trump is doing. He's being a little bit louder with it, obviously, with Super Bowl commercials. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have a choice to make this year. 2020. Um, you can you can jump on, you know, the conservative side with Donald Trump, which and I wouldn't be mad at any black voter who did that. You, to some degree, are voting in your self-interest, voting for Donald Trump. As ridiculous as this man seems, as much as all of the talk is of how stupid and and, 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 and really ignorant he behaves, which in a lot of times I agree 99% of the time, you know, but there's that there's that small percentage of times when I feel like that we're so focused on all of these, you know, external factors that we're not really looking at the policies and saying, well, dang, if, if we really just want to kind of create some sort of balance and trade, that's going to create a balance in the economy here. It's going to create a desire for business owners to want to do business at home, you see, because the Chinese are going to be like, nah, we're cool on y'all. Y'all got leadership over there that we can't really predict how we're going to end up. And we might not end up on top. And right now we're, we're on top of you guys. You, you, you went into all the wars, you borrowed all that money, you know, Plus, the trade is, you know, basically you're a little baby China store. America's a store that's just selling Chinese goods. It's got an American address, but everything in it came from China. And that's today's, you know, retail space and online space. We're essentially selling and trading Chinese labor for cheap. And we're selling it to people at, you know, basically the same price as you'd be paying for some American labor. So... We really have to, uh, as a constituency, begin to look at the candidates in this election, both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And we have to understand that it doesn't matter what you say. Bernie Sanders seemed really sympathetic. He seemed like he got it. He understood how these conditions, these social conditions existed in, in the communities that, you know, were being discussed, which is obviously black, black communities, the ghetto. But it was beautiful how you know, and I say beautiful loosely, how we managed to tiptoe around the subject of these even being black communities to begin with. So that's my rant for today. I want to keep everybody in the mind frame that we have to stay on code. Microaggressions happen every day to black people all over the country, all over the world. You could watch the news and you could see it happen from the South Africans going crazy on the farms in South Africa to overseas in Europe, um, to the Middle East, to North Africa. Um, into America. We see these microaggressions happen every day, these incidences of racism. And a lot of times it's sad that we have to look at our own and see how we have controlled opposition and people within our own ranks um, that are contributing to our overall demise. So we have to wake up.
We have to listen to the new voices of black media, not these talking heads and people who are getting a check from white supremacy. White supremacy is not paying me a dime to say what I say and do the research that I do. Everything I do is to enlighten and inform people to make better decisions. I'm not here to tell you how to think. I'm just here to make you think. Make sure that you're looking over all the options with clarity and with the right amount of information that's not coming to you from the same source, Fox and CNBC and MSNBC and the white media. Uh, and oftentimes some of these black folks that are in the white media as well, the Roland Martins of the world, the Don Lemons of the world, uh, these people have an agenda and that agenda is called white supremacy. They're getting their butter biscuits in uh, and hope you do too. Anybody who wants to be a real revolutionary is cutting it to their paycheck. Because Massa only needs them around as long as they prove to be influential to us. Once these black folks who we campaigned and politic for this minority inclusion, but we didn't we didn't know what we were asking these people to be included into. So they've been included into the agenda and we just wanted to be included into the club. Well, you're in the club all right now. So with that, I'm going to close. I wish everybody a good day. And we out. Stay on code.